Do you look forward to that day when all the earth will shout his praise? That's going to be awesome. Thank you for taking us there, uh, praise team. I really appreciate that and leading us in worship and some great theology in those songs today, too. Fantastic way to start our time with the Lord today. Well, if you could turn with me to, to Revelation chapter 17. We're, we're talking about the 11th hour, and we're, we're really getting to the 11th hour. As we get to this point where uh, uh, in chapters 19 or 17 through 19, this cosmic battle has been going on between God and Satan from, from the beginning of time until now is, is coming to its, its end. And so we're excited about that and we're seeing how it's come, coming together. To get a little big picture in case uh, you weren't here last week, um, this is where we're heading. And, and we, when we look at these three chapters, we are going to begin with the vision of the harlot and the beast. And, um, and that was what we hit in the last two weeks. Then the fall of the harlot the responses to the fall of Babylon, which is the harlot, and then the fall of the beast uh, coming at the end of that. And so that's where we're headed. This week, we're going we're gonna to talk about the fall of the harlot, the fall of Babylon. So if you could turn with me to Revelation chapter 17, and we'll be starting in verse 15 in just a moment, but to recap what the vision of the, of the harlot and the beast is. The harlot we found was a satanic counterfeit order and that it was going to come from Babylon, which is uh, modern-day Iran. And, uh, and it also is going to include the surrounding Arabic nations, and we are told in Scripture that, uh, that they will be held together by one religion that claims to come in the name of peace, but is also um, promoting violence and involved in persecuting God's people. We're actually beginning to see a lot of that take place now as they are held, those, those nations are held together by a, by a religion that's called the way of peace in Arabic or Islam. And, and yet we find that there is a lot of violence against God's people that is taking place. Then we find that the beast, when we looked at uh, what, what the scripture said about the beast, was this revival of past empires that have persecuted God's people in the past and uh, with a focus really on, on Rome. And when you think about it, Rome, uh, what do you think about? You think about the persecution of, of the, the Christians and the Jews in, uh, in the Colosseum there as well. And so you've got these, these two things coming together, and these are both superpowers, and both of which are controlled by Satan, which is what makes what we're going to read this morning seem so surprising. There's going to be a dramatic turn of events. So with that, let's look at, at chapter 17 of Revelation, starting at verse 15. We read this. Then he said to me, The waters which you saw where the harlot sits are peoples, multitudes, nations, and tongues. And we'd already talked about that. We kind of caught up, we figured that part out already. Verse 16. And the ten horns which you saw on the beast, they will hate the harlot, make her desolate and naked, eat her flesh, and burn her with fire. Let me stop there for a moment. The ten horns. You remember who the ten horns were? We talked about this last week. He, 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 the angel told him very clearly, these are, these are ten nations, these are ten nations, uh, uh, like a, a confederation of nations that would bind together under the beast, so it's coming out of the Europe, European era, era, or area, and they were, they're going to come together, and it says here that the ten horns, remember the ten horns of the beast, which you saw, these will hate the harlot, make her desolate and naked, eat her flesh and burn her with fire. That's a turn of events, isn't it? Goes on to, to say, verse 17, for God has put it in their hearts to fulfill his purpose, to be of one mind and to give their kingdoms to the beast until the words of God are fulfilled. 
And the woman whom you saw is that great city which reigns over the kings of the earth. So you've got this incredible turn of events, and, and you've got the, uh, the harlot and the beast, and you find that there's this a military coup of sorts uh, where the confederation of nations in Europe, or the beast, are going to turn against the confederation of nations in the Middle East, and they're going to conquer them. And so it's, it's this internal conflict, this internal corrosion that's going to take place among Satan's empire. Which I don't know, what gets me when I think about this is to realize that half of the battle will be won without the lamb having to even lift a finger. I mean, think about that. How many of you are expecting that? I mean, you know, when you're reading about the battle of Armageddon, you're ready for Jesus to come in, just militarily come in and just take it over. That's not what, what we find. Actually, half of the battle is won without the lamb having to do anything. And uh, he, he, just, he just lets it, lets it happen. And you have to say how on earth would Satan let this happen? I mean, for me, when I was studying this, that's the question that came to my mind. How on earth would Satan let it happen? Right? You know, I mean, for, for God to even predict this, because do you think Satan's ever read the book of Revelation? I didn't, see, I didn't get a lot of responses. Do you think Satan's ever read the book of Revelation? You bet he has. You, you think he knows what God's plan is? And now God says, this is what I'm going to do. This is how I'm going to defeat you. Satan would, could do everything in his power to try and stop it, and it's still not going to happen. It's kind of like someone who tries to wrestle with my brother, right? My brother, Tom, you know, I've, I've told stories about him. He's a great wrestler. He can tell you ahead of time what, or he can ask you, what submission, you know, what do you, do you uh, want me to try and beat you with? And you can tell him, and he'll beat you with it, Right? I mean, you, you, it, it's, he can tell you, so you can be on your guard knowing he, he, he can't beat me anyway. He's got to beat me with a particular, and he'll still do it. That's kind of what, what God is doing here. He's saying, this is how I'm going to defeat Satan. Satan already hears this, and this hasn't happened yet. Satan could try and stop this, but he can't. He can't stop it one bit. And, and uh, why? Well, what did it say in verse 17? For God has put it in their hearts to fulfill his purposes to be of one mind and to give their kingdom to the beast until the words of God are fulfilled. So half of Satan's empire is going to turn on the other half. Why? Because God ordained it. You can't stop God. In theological terms, you know what that's called? Sovereignty. The sovereignty of God. There is no power on earth. There is no power in hell. There is no power in the universe that can thwart the plans and decree of God. He is totally sovereign. And we see this here, and we see how God, in his sovereignty, will win half of the battle simply by letting Satan's ideology take its natural course. You see, let's, let's back up for a moment here, and, and you're ready to go a little deep for just a moment here? Can we do that? You got your thinking caps on, right? Coffee in hand if you need it. But... Um, but I wanted to go behind the scenes for a little bit. When you actually think about what's going on here in this cosmic battle, it's, it's really Satan, who's now represented through the beast, and, you, and the lamb, which is Jesus Christ. And it's, it's this, this battle between Satan and God. What we really find at the heart of all of this is, is a battle of ideologies. And what I mean by that? An ideology is the way in which you think that causes, the way, causes you to, to relate to everything everything around you because of the way that you think. It's an ideology. And, and Satan had an ideology that is very different than the lambs. And it's these two ideologies 
that are in conflict. And so when you think about that, you've got uh, uh, Satan has his ideology, and every ideology has a heart to it, a, a goal and a means, and, and, uh, and the lamb has his, and I think you'll see that they're completely different. So remember, if you go back to Isaiah chapter 14, we don't have to turn there because I've mentioned it many times as we've been preaching through, uh, through Revelation, but, but Satan said, I want to be like who? God, I want to be like the Most High. And, and God's up here, and I, 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 and you find the word I several times through. I want to be like him. I want to be the ruler. I think I deserve to be the master of the universe. Instead of submitting myself to the sovereignty of God, I would like to be there. And, and so if this is an ideology of pride. It's an ideology of pride. What's at the heart of pride? At the heart of pride is selfishness. Isn't that what it's all about? It's selfishness. And it's, it's, this is what I want for me so I can accomplish this. And when you think about it, what's the goal? The goal is domination. What does Satan want? He wants to create his own kingdom. That's why God has his, his kingdom and, and Satan is trying to, to replicate that. And, and so God has a trinity. Satan in, Reve- in the book of Revelation is creating his own trinity. And God has Christ. He is an antichrist. And it's going back and forth. We, we find that, um, that, that everything that Satan is doing is just a counterfeit because what he wants is to usurp God. He wants the to domination. The means by this is violence. The means by which he does this is violence. Usually when we, when we use the term violence, we usually think of violence in its most extreme form, like killing people, right, or, or, or injuring people. But, but violence goes a little deeper than that, too. I think violence is, is an attitude, too, of if I don't get my way, if I don't get what I want, I'll take it, right? Isn't that the heart of violence? It's this idea of, of, I will step on whomever I have to. And so violence doesn't always have to be physically hurting someone. It could be lying about somebody so that their reputation goes down so that you can get a promotion before that person at work, right? That's a type of violence when you think about it in the, in the biblical sense here. Uh, but, but violence is all of this, and it's, and it's an extension of pride and selfishness. Does this sound like the ideology of the lamb? Or is this a little bit different? But I love the way one of, one of the lambs, his, in fact, his last apostle, the apostle Paul, was describing how we're supposed to, to look at life and our, our outlook on life. And, and uh, he said this in Philippians 2, verses 3 and 4. This is the apostle Paul. And listen to this. And compare this to what we just heard about Satan. Compare, compare it to this. Let nothing be done through selfish ambition. Or conceit. But in lowliness of mind, let each esteem others better than himself. Let each of you look out not only for his own interests, but also for the interests of others. Do you see a conflict of ideologies here? Christianity, which Paul put into a nutshell right here. Christianity is, is the exact opposite. It's not about pride. It's about what can we do? We lower ourselves so that we can, can have a relationship with us. We, we put other, the needs of other people above ourselves. That's what, it, that's what we're called to. And so when you, when you look at that, it's, instead of it being an ideology of pride, it's an ideology of humility. It's an ideology of humility. Uh, as it says, in lowliness 
of mine. Let each esteem others better than himself. It's a heart of selflessness. The opposite. It's where I put the needs of others above myself, as it says in verse 4 of Philippians 2. The goal isn't domination. The goal is community. The goal is to meet each other's needs. And so we can come together to meet each other's needs. And we, we do that uh, oftentimes through our benevolence offering right here, right? where if you happen to have extra and someone else is hurting, you can, you can give to the benevolence offering. And then we have a benevolence committee. You can take that money and go and help uh, and make sure that it gets dispersed to the people who have a need. I love that, don't you? That's what Christianity is about. It's about when you have extra needs, donating time to, uh, to places and ministries that are, that are helping others that, that are in need. I love that. In fact, I see streams of hope as represented here as well. It's so awesome. I love that. Thank you for what you do. Thank you for some of you who volunteer time. That's, that's the heart of Christianity. It's a completely different ideology. Uh, the means, then, is through, is through peace instead of violence. And these two ideologies are at war, and they have been at war since the beginning of the foundations of the world. Because Satan said, I have a new ideology. It is the exact opposite of what God is. And I want to dominate every, I want to dominate the universe with it. Now here's the problem. The problem with building an empire based on pride and selfish ambition and vain conceit is that people will eventually do what? They'll turn on each other. Right? People will eventually turn on each other. So I find it very interesting that the the way God chooses to win the first half of this battle, we'll get to the second half of the battle in in a couple chapters, but God, instead of simply defeating Satan in battle, defeats him in a way that does two things. Number one, it highlights his own sovereignty. Because why does this even happen? It's because God ordained it. And number two, or point B, it also exposes the internal flaws of Satan's Ideology. It exposes the internal flaws of Satan's ideology. Remember what Jesus said? He was was talking with the the Pharisees in Matthew chapter 12, right? He's talking with the Pharisees. They're trying to trick him as they always do. The Pharisees were agents of Satan as well, right? He called them sons of their father, the devil. That's a pretty strong language, not very politically correct, but it's a very strong uh, and accurate language when he's talking to them. But in, in Matthew 12, 25, Jesus said this, but Jesus knew their thoughts and said to them, Every kingdom divided against itself is brought to desolation. And every city or house divided against itself will not stand. If Satan casts out Satan, he is divided against himself. How then will his kingdom stand? There's a double meaning in that, isn't there? When you look at what Jesus is saying. And yeah, in, in, the, in the immediate context, he was saying... He was, he was combating the argument of the Pharisees, but he's look, he, he takes this truth and takes it to a, uh, taking it to a broader perspective. You realize there's a principle here that if a house is divided against itself, it's not going to stand. When a house is, 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 is divided, that what happens? You have selfishness, and you have one person wanting this and another person wanting this, and eventually they turn in on each other. And his point is it's not just a house, it's anything. And, and if you go back to verse, uh, to verse 25... It's interesting, every kingdom divided against itself is brought to desolation. That, that root, the root word there for desolation is the same root word that we find in Revelation 17, verse 16, when it says that they made the harlot desolate. Same exact word. 
And so this is just, this is classic when we see uh, that the lamb is, is just letting Satan's ideology cave in on itself. Because there's an internal flaw to, the, to Satan's ideology. And you know what it is? Pride goes before destruction and a haughty spirit before a fall. Think about this. God doesn't deserve to be the the master of the universe just because he's all-powerful. But God deserves to be the master of the universe because he's right and he's good and he's all-wise. And he knows what works and he knows what doesn't. He knows that if you set up a system of pride, everything will crumble in on itself. He knows that. And out of love, he says the best way for you to live your life is to live under submission to an authority that is all good and that is all God. And when we submit ourselves to him, it changes the way we treat each other, doesn't it? So true. It changes everything. Why? Because pride leads to destruction and a haughty spirit before a fall. Let's continue reading in Revelation. Let's start chapter 18, verse 1. We read this. And after these things, I saw another angel coming down from, from heaven, having great authority, and the earth was illuminated with his glory. And he cried mightily with a, with a loud voice, saying, Babylon the great is fallen, is fallen, and has become a dwelling place of demons, a prison for every foul spirit, and a cage for every unclean and hated bird. For all the nations have drunk of the wine of the wrath of her fornication. The kings of the earth have committed fornication with her, and the, mer- the merchants of the earth have become rich through the abundance of her luxury. Well, here you have it. Why is the fall of Babylon even taking place? It says very clearly right here, there are three reasons why, why God has decided to destroy Babylon. Very, very clear in one verse. Here it is, right here. Number one, we see the idea of wrath. For the wrath, it says the nations have drunk with the wine of the wrath of her fornication. Um, and so when you, you look at the, the wrath, the violence that, that was taking place, the second one goes on to say the kings have committed fornication with her. So we have this sexual perversion as well is highlighted in here. And then lastly, um, the merchants of the earth have become rich through the abundance of her luxury. What's that talk about? Materialism. When you think about that, think about wrath and violence, think about sexual perversion, and think about materialism. What do they all have in common? All of them are results of a society built on an ideology of pride instead of an ideology of humility and selflessness. Isn't that true? I mean, think it through for a moment. Uh, where, where does wrath come from? Violence and wrath. Where does it come from? Well, when two people want the same thing and, and now one person maybe does something to the other person then there's violence going back. It, it all comes down to selfishness. Have you ever seen a fight break out because nobody was being selfish? Now, I'm a parent. I've, I have pretty good kids, I feel. I mean, I'm, I mean, I'm, I'm biased, I know, but I'm going to keep them all, right? And I, te- I tease them. I'll tell them I'll sell them on eBay. I say, I've heard of people. I won't sell you on eBay, but... They know, the, they know better, right? But, but when they were little, when, and there were squabbles sometimes, 
I, I have yet to find a squabble where it was like, I was trying to do something for him or her, and, and she wanted to do something for me instead. Or, have you, anyone have a fight like that? Because it's human nature. It, all of the, the, the violence and the fighting and all that kind of stuff, it comes out of that sense of selfishness. So I want my way, right? You, you know, you go to a birthday party and you have a piñata. You can tell I raised my kids in a Spanish-speaking country, but uh, you, know, you have a piñata at every birthday party pretty much, right? And, uh, and so um, you, you'd say, all right, whose turn is it? How many hands go up? All of them. They all want to go, right? And so you have to organize them as parents and why? Because that's human nature. Now, I, I, I'm, I'm ripping on kids a little bit because it's easy because they're not in the room right now. But in reality, that's all of us, right? Every, every conflict that we have at work, every conflict we have in, in the church, every conflict we have in the family, every conflict we have is, is boiling down that someone's being selfish. Usually both sides in some extent, to some extent. Uh, when you think of sexual perversion, what is that? That's selfishness too. Take any form of, of, of sexual perversion listed in Scripture and, and we can link it to selfishness. Fornication, what is it? So you want the joy and the, the pleasure of the sexual relationship without having the commitment of having to actually build a relationship, right? You, you can go on in any form of sexual perversion. It's selfishness. Materialism, obvious, same thing. Materialism is, I want that. So I'm gonna, if, if it's not given to me, I'm going to take it one way or another. And really, in a sense, what we have here are the three signs that Satan's ideology has permeated a culture. Violence. If I'm not given what I want, I'll take it. Sexual perversion. I'm not going to use God's gift the way he designed it. I'm going to use the way I want to design it. Materialism. Same thing. I want what I want. Babylon will have such a corrupting influence among the nations of the world that God is going to say, I want it desolate. Desolate. I find it interesting, too, when you think about this description of Babylon that we find in, in Scripture. In fact, if you, go, if you go back to verse 16, what does it say? The beast will make her desolate. What does that mean? Having nothing. All their material stuff, gone. Materialism, gone. It will make her naked. Connect that to the sexual perversion and burn her with fire violence. In other words, everything that Babylon is guilty of is going to be the very same things that destroy them. Have you ever heard of live by the sword? Die by the sword. It's the internal flaw of an ideology based on pride. But remember what we were told last week? We, the church, were called to a different path. We're not called to that path. We're not called to, to experience the wrath of God like the, the fall of Babylon is, is going to experience. We're called to something different. Look at verse 4. We'll read verses 4 through 8. as we, uh, we'll, we'll close our service at, with, uh, with verse 8. It says, And I heard another voice from, from heaven saying, Come out of her, my people, lest you share in her sins, and lest you receive of her plagues, for her sins have reached to heaven, and God has remembered her iniquities. Come out of her. Don't, don't be a part of that. Because God is watching, even when it seems like he's not. Like, it seems like people are getting away with everything, doesn't it? It's not true. God is saying, come out from her because I'm watching. And, I, and the sins and their iniquities 
have come to my ears. Render to her just as she rendered to you, and repay her double according to her works. In the cup which she has mixed, mixed double for her. In the measure that she has glorified herself, see where it comes from? Glorifying yourself, that's the ideology of pride. In the measure that she glorified herself and lived luxuriously, in the same measure give her torment and sorrow. For she says in her heart, I sit as a queen, I am no widow, and will not see sorrow. Therefore her plagues will come in one day, death and mourning and famine, and she will be utterly burned with fire, for strong is the Lord God who judges her. What do you do with a passage like this? What are the applications for this? I think the applications come right out of the text. Look at verse 4 one more time. Come, uh, come out of her, my people, lest you share in her sins and lest you receive of her plagues. Application number one, very simple. Be separate from the world. Come out of the world. Don't, be, don't get caught up into the world. Don't let your heartstrings be attached to the sinfulness and the selfishness and the pride of the world around you. We're gonna live in a, we live in a difficult place and it's very easy to become contaminated by the ideologies there. Don't do it. Be separate from the world. I'm not talking about how it seemed like back in the, in the 60s and 70s. Well, I shouldn't say that because I wasn't in the 60s. It seems like in the 70s and sometimes people interpreted being separate from the world meaning that we have to dress differently or we have to have shorter hair or we have to... And I think we get off track in some of that. What are we talking about? We're talking about being different from the world in that instead of living by the ideology of self and pride, we live by the ideology of selflessness and love, right? And that's what the world, they will know that we are Christians by our hairdos, right? That's what this, no. They will know we are Christians by our love. Our love. And so don't, don't share in the sins of the world. Don't let that ideology of pride contaminate you. You know, what we see in the world should not be what we see in the church. In the world, we're going to see violence and hate, right? In the church, we should see peace and love. Not the 70s peace and love. I'm not talking about, I'm not talking about that. I'm talking about actual peace and love. We get along with each other. We're selfless towards each other. Each person esteeming the needs uh, or esteeming other people as better than themselves. Everyone looking not to their own interests but the interests of others. That's what the world needs to see, right? In the world, you're going to have sexual perversions. You're going to have all sorts of sexual perversions. In the church, we should be following God's design for the gift of sex, right? And appreciating God for, for God's design. In the world, you're going to have materialism, you know, in fact, uh, I saw a t-shirt the other day that said, or no, um, actually it was on a bumper sticker. Uh, it said, he who dies with the most toys wins. <laughs> I also saw a t-shirt that said, he who dies with the most toys is still dead. <laughs> right? That's, that's pretty cool when you think about it. Because in reality... You can live your life for toys. What is that? That's the ideology of selfishness. But if you do live that way, you know what your, your end is? It's death. It's right in their own slogan. He who dies with the most toys wins. What good is winning when you're dead? The point is, the point is we have to live by something completely different. Uh, the world is, is, is full of materialism. We should be the most generous people on the planet. So 
Don't share in the sins of the world. And why not? Well, lest you receive her plagues. Do you remember when Sodom and Gomorrah in Genesis 19 became so evil that God decided to give the whole world a little taste of Revelation 17, 18, and 19 all the way back in Genesis 19? wanted to get a little taste so that the world understood how God sees things. And in Genesis 19, the world was, was so bad in Sodom and Gomorrah, the city was plagued with three things. If you read Genesis 19, plagued with violence, plagued with sexual perversion, and plagued with materialism. Have those, those sound familiar? That's what's going on in Revelation 17, 18, 19. But this was going on in a limited area in Sodom and Gomorrah. There were two cities that were close enough together that because of their materialism and bringing people in, they started to grow, they started growing enough that the two cities kind of became one, right? And, uh, and so that was the, the world of, of Sodom and Gomorrah. And so God decided to send his judgment on them as a signal to the, to, to the rest of the world. And in Genesis 19, we read this. Then the Lord rained brimstone and fire on Sodom and Gomorrah from the Lord out of the heavens. So he overthrew those cities, all the, uh, all the plain, all the inhabitants of the cities, and what grew on the ground. So God, God destroyed the cities. He just, I mean, utterly destroyed them, giving us a, a picture of his judgment. Oh, by the way, in the story, you also see God's mercy. Because Lot lived in a very, very contaminated culture by the ideology of, of pride. And he actually started falling in for some of that. If you read Genesis 19, Lot wasn't exactly a great guy. He was a believer, but he had been contaminated by the culture. You say, how do you know that? Remember when God sent the angels? They were good-looking angels. So they, they, came, they, they came in the appearance of men. What happened? All the men of the city said, we wanted to rape these men. We wanted to gang rape those men. So they chased him. He goes all the way to Lot's house. You read it yourself. And he goes to Lot's house. They're banging on the door saying, release the men that we saw. We want to have sex with them. I mean, that's how bad the culture had, had gotten. And what does Lot do? He says, oh, no. These are my guests. That's not right. You can have my daughters. What, what person in their right mind would think that? And yet God, in his mercy, was willing to take Lot and say, Lot, I see something. I, I, I want you to come out of Sodom and Gomorrah. And I'll give you mercy. I'm going to teach you a better way. I'm going to teach you a way that is so different. I'm going to teach you a way of selflessness and humility. And I, and I'm, and I, I can use you if you're willing to come out. And Lot, a very imperfect man said, I'll come out. And he, and he decides to come out. And he does. Do you remember what happened in the very next verse? But his wife looked back behind him. And she became a pillar of salt. She followed her husband. But where was her heart? Her heart was left back in Sodom. Maybe she thought God couldn't read her, her heart Maybe she didn't recognize the fact that God knows everything we think, everything we feel, everything we value. But her heart was left back in Sodom. And she ended up participating in, in the results. 
come out of her, my people, lest you share in her sins and lest you receive of her plagues. That's what God's calling us to. He's calling us to leave the, the, leave the, 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 the world's ideology and come to a new one. Leave all of that stuff. And so my question today really for, for our invitation is, where is your heart? Where is your heart? Does your heart long for humility, for peace and community? Or does your pride drive you towards violence or towards sexual perversion or towards materialism? And I know, as a church, it's very easy for us to assume, oh yeah, that's just, that's, those are sins of other people. That's, those aren't sins of, that, that, that's not my sins. But, so I want to ask a question because it's very easy for us to be self-deceived. Let me ask a couple questions um, re- regarding violence. Um, if someone violated your rights, would you rather see them get what they deserve? Or would you rather see them turn and repent and get right with the Lord? Mm-hmm. Ouch. That hurts a little, doesn't it? When you think about that. Or talk about sexual perversion for a moment. Do your entertainment choices reflect a commitment to only seek sexual pleasure with your spouse? I read a statistic that that said in churches, seven out of ten men look at pornography regularly. I don't know if that's true in this church or not. I don't know. But is that true in your life? That's what I'm asking. And women, you're not off the hook, right? Men tend to be a little bit more stimulated visually, okay? But women, let me ask you this. Are the entertainment choices that you're, that you're making, are, 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 you, are, are you looking at and watching entertainment that, um, that would uh, get you, or let me, let me read it in my notes. I want to make sure I read it. Are you reading stories or watching anything in TV that encourage fidelity? or that gives you a desire to look for satisfaction outside of your marriage. You don't have to see it always for it to draw your heart. If you're watching shows where it's encouraging you to look for satisfaction outside of your marriage, then that's just as as unfaithful, isn't it? Where are we in that stuff? Uh, Let's talk about materialism. Let me ask a couple questions here. If you wanted something but God has not yet given you the resources to purchase that thing that you want, um, do you just put it on a credit card? Right? I mean, doesn't the Bible say that my God shall supply all your needs? So if he hasn't supplied all the money for something, now I'm not saying, I'm not saying you, should, you can't ever use a credit card if that's your way of doing it and you pay it off at the end of the month or something. I, I get that. I'm not... But I'm talking about materialism. Something, you want something, you look in the bank and say, I don't have it, so I'm just going to put it on a credit card. By the way, that is, it's pride. It's an ideology of selfishness. And you know what? Eventually it does fall in on itself with this little thing called interest. Right? That grows. All sin grows. You know, it's the nature let me ask you this too. If you receive news today that, that you or your spouse received a, a raise and, uh, you know, a significant raise, would you be more excited about how you could spend it on yourself or on what you could do to meet the needs of other people? Right? Those are questions that we, we can ask ourselves. Why? Because it's very easy for us to do what Lot did and without even recognizing it, start to get contaminated by the ideology of the world around us. But we're told in Scripture... Come out of her, my people, lest you share in her sins, and lest you receive 
of her place. Let's bow our heads and close our eyes for just a moment. And I understand in a day like, like today, I, I, I'm, gonna, I'm simply going to ask you to respond from your, from your seats. But I'm going to ask you to pray to the Lord and ask Him to reveal if there's any, any effect of the ideology of pride that's, go, that's going on anything in your heart or in your actions and your, your life that you need to confess. And I'm going, to pray that, I'm going to pray that prayer for myself, and I would like you to pray something similar with me, and then I'm just going to give you a, a moment of silence where you do business with God and confess that to the Lord right here and right now. So if you'd pray with me something like this. Heavenly Father, Lord, you are a perfect and awesome God. You deserve to be worshipped. You deserve to be obeyed. You deserve to be the sovereign creator, the sovereign master over the entire universe. And Lord, we, when we sin, when we fall into sin, it's because we've begun to believe some of the lies of Satan. No different than Adam and Eve. We begin to believe some of those lies and we start living for ourselves instead of living for others. Lord, my prayer right now is that in the next few moments you would you'd break my heart with any sin that's going on in my life. I pray the same for my brothers and sisters in this room right now. So Lord, in this moment, we confess to you these sins. And I pray right now in this moment of silence that you would work in our hearts.